Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, where we talk to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, our guest is Ken Braggett. Now, he was adopted at the age of two, and not meeting his father until 34 years later, Ken has an amazing story about turning a negative into a positive. He says that his ADHD is both a blessing and a curse. I see it as a blessing, and I'm hoping you will too, as his unique thinking ability has not only created a very successful business, but has helped the Indigenous community on so many levels. Creating the Don't Scrap, Give Back and the True North Strong Foundation and helping the community of Fort McMurray is what Ken is doing to better the pond. Let me introduce to you, Ken Braggett. So Ken Braggett, I am uh, really excited to have you on my Better the Pond podcast, and I truly appreciate your time to be here today. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to hearing your stories and finding out what you're doing to better the pond. So thank you for your time, Ken. Thanks, Warren. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited to, you know, speaking with you, and I'm even more excited to see which funky shirt you were going to wear today. So <laughs> that, you, you made a good pick. <laughs> well, I'm glad you approve. <laughs> yeah. So, so Ken, I want to know what got you from being a gosling to leaving the nest to where you are today. So, Ken, what is your backstory? Oh, my Lord. So, um, I don't know if you know about this about me, but I was actually adopted at the age of two. Okay. So, so let's take this back a little bit. So where are you from originally? So originally I'm from, uh, I'm from Edmonton, born and raised in Edmonton. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my, so my real father and my, and my mom, who's still involved in my, involved in my life today, um, they got together and got, uh, got married and had me, uh, you know, 1982, 30 years old now. And, um, before my second birthday, they had split up and my mom forced an adoption upon my real father. So my real, my real last name is actually Callahoo. So I was okay. born Kenneth Lewis Callahoo. And so my, my dad agreed, uh, Farron Callahoo agreed. And my mom took me and, um, left and then met um dennis braggett and yeah my name was changed and i and i lived my life until i was 10 years old when i was told hey by the way you were adopted and your real name is not braggett it's callahoo and then um another divorce in my life happened and i got a new dad so you know i i've had the blessings of having three three men in my life um and my mom's still around so you know i've i've uh I've had quite the, uh, quite the, quite the history. 
<laughs> so were you, um, was that all still in Edmonton through that whole entire time? Yeah. Uh, Edmonton and surrounding areas, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've been basically Edmonton my entire life. That uh, explains my, um, up and down relationship with my hockey team here, which can't ever seem to get it, get it on track, but only one day they will. <laughs> There's always, I'm a Leafs fan. There's always hope, my friend. <laughs> oh my God. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> so, so, you know, here you are, um, at, at 10 years old, um, and you're being told that you're adopted and you, you know, that is not, you know, your natural, your last name is not your real true last name. Um, do you remember, I mean, that moment in time when, when you were told that, and and what was your oh, yeah. reaction? and what was your reaction to that yeah you know so what is that that's almost 28 years ago i, I remember it very I, you know, i'll never forget it as long as i live mm-hmm. i was in the basement of my house in millwoods um i was sitting on the floor my dad was on the couch my mom was on the floor and yeah they just said you know this is the story and and there's another dad out there that you've never met and that was what i was told at the time was i never met him and your name was this and you know um, my adopted father Braggett was very supportive and said if you want to look him up one day I'll help you you know I, I think you deserve to know mm-hmm. uh, my mom not so much um, but yeah I'll never forget it but at 10 years old you kind of thought oh this is kind of cool you didn't know how serious it was or how you know how different it was but I just you know oh that's that's neat right and uh that's literally how i remember taking it and then you know i did the 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 most action i took at that point in time to find my real family was you know we used to have the the white pages (laughs) so remember back in the day (laughs) yeah i went through the white pages and i found you know f there was like three or four f callahoos and i actually called one and i spoke to a i'll never forget this i had two friends there with me I, I spoke to a, a young gal and she said, yeah, hold on. And then I hung up. Like I actually asked, like, is Farron there? And you know, who's this? I'm like, this is Ken, Kenny or whatever. And she's like, uh, hold on. And I hung up. Right. So I was, that was, that was it. That was it. You never did. Did you ever, you never phone back? Nope. Um, I got curious again when I was about 18 years old. My mother said, um, you know, you've never met him. Don't, don't you dare go, you know, don't open that box up. He was abusive and, and, um, you know, there was, I guess there was, you know, some stuff that had happened when they were young. Mm-hmm. So 18, I, I tried to look him up. So if we can, so now my third dad, stepdad, um, Greg Pellick is his name. And so I was working for him. He owns a valve manufacturing facility here in Edmonton. So I, you know, I, I spent um, some time working with him at his facility and I found a box in a storage room that had a whole bunch of Farron Callahoo like paste stubs. And it was my mom's box that was being stored at this work. And it had like paste stubs. It had, you know, um, some other documents. So I, at 18, I pick up, I look at a paste stub for like Acme scrap metals and I call the business and you know i said hey it's farron cowell who worked there and the owner like started swearing at me and, and i'm like oh god like so i hung up the phone so, <laughs> and so yeah that was my attempt at 18 years old and i did not look again until um i did not look again until like 
maybe 34. So yeah. in all that time, Ken, I mean, going from 10 to 18, right? And then, and then and going on again, was it always in the back of your mind? Like, did it, was it something that ever nagged you or did you just sort of manage to sort of push it out and just get back on with your life? And yeah, I never, I never really thought about it much. Um, you know, I, I would tell people that that was my, you know, I, I would tell people that I was, you know, that my real name was this and that, and, you know, it was, it was, but I never, I never ever like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm on a mission now to find, right. Mm-hmm. Um, my real, my real family, right. Never, never once. Huh. So it never, never nagged at you or, you know, you know well, you weren't on this, obviously this mad search to, to make this discovery. Uh, no, you know what, when I was in the police, cause I joined the police when I was 26, I think a couple of times I tried to, you know, I hope uh, how 12 years, yeah, statue limitation. So, um, <laughs> I did, I did once in a while use a, you know, use a, police database to try to find my family right um mm-hmm. but you know they were never in trouble with the law so it was kind of nice i couldn't didn't find them but <laughs> well that's good did mm-hmm. um we and were you the only child with your with your mom and your original paternal dad um yes yeah so farron callahoo and jerry my mom uh, had me they split up my braggart dad um had my sister and then actually sorry before my Callahoo before Farron and Jerry got together there was my older brother so I've got two other siblings that are just actually just half blood so oh, okay yeah but I consider them full right yeah and yeah. Do, you, do you still connect with them on a regular basis oh yeah yeah, you're oh, yeah, close, yeah. So. Oh, okay yeah me and my uh my sister's two boys are like the same age as my two girls so uh-huh. they they go to school together. They play hockey together, um, and then my brother, my brother and me are are very close. Yeah, I talk to him probably every day. Oh, okay. They they all live like we all live within uh, ten minutes of each other. Oh, so you're all still all up in Edmonton. Yeah. No, you guys don't travel much, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So uh, so I want to come back to this. Um, and so going back to, you know, you were obviously you're working for your, uh, for your, was it your, your father's uh, valve company? My your stepdad, stepfather. Yeah. Sorry, your stepfather's valve company. Yeah. And that, and you were how old then? Um, probably 18. 18. And how long did you work there for? Oh, geez. Three or four years. And what did you do there? But everything like, um, you know, I, I would, so I was full time, 18 to 23 or whatever it was. But, you know, every, every weekend, every time I got suspended on purpose at school, I would be shipped to the shop to work. I just, I loved, I loved the shop environment, you know, um, and maybe it was the fact that my dad loved, you know, cheap labor, but he would always, he would always bring me to the shop and I was always around the shop. Um, I just, I, I liked the environment and I really liked, you know, what he did and the valves and it was interesting to me. And what did you, like, what did you do everything? Did like, did you go and fix things and tinker and like, what did, what did you, what did you do? Um, mainly I caused a lot of problems. 
you know, I'll never, I'll never, I think honestly, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And, uh, I said to the one guy, I said, Hey, my dad's going to fire you today. And the guy's like, Oh my God. And he got all panicked. And like, it was totally not true, but I was just, that was the kind of little, you know, disturber that I was. Right. And, uh, but you know what? I, Cause I was, I was, you know, I look back at our education system, mm-hmm. man, I really wish we could figure it out when it comes to kids that have functions like I did, you know, I remember that like my braggart dad, God, I got three dads. It gets so confusing. I'll never forget that my braggart dad had a wife whose brother said like, your kid's going to end up in jail one day. Like mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. And there's some irony behind this whole statement here because I was, I was, I, I was functioning. Like I was functioning at a level that people just couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. you know sit there and do that well I can't do that so then I go do something you got to find something to stimulate my brain you know I don't know why nobody thought hey let's let's develop a gambling system for 13 year olds because this is what stimulates them you know it's illegal but but no I could just I it'd be nice if somebody could actually sit there and figure out what what the what the mold is for ADHD kids mm-hmm. um because I was eventually able to figure it out, whether it was from the police, whether it was from being a leader in my business or just being, you know, having stuff, right? Because actually, so the guy that said to my dad, your kid's going to end up in the, in the jail one day. Yeah. It just so happens that when I was in the police, I actually put one of his kids in jail. <laughs> There's an irony right I'll never... there. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Eh? Like, and I, you know, I'm not laughing about, you know, having to put somebody in jail like that, you know, they they had some drug issues, but, but, you know, like, like that was the ultimate, like, you know, kind of the, that moment, like, Oh yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, um, so tell me, you know, because I, you know, I, I met you uh, back in August in Edmonton through, through tech Canada. Um, and, um, through the work that I do, I, when I saw that, I was like, I was really excited to, to actually meet you because I thought, here's a guy who's just going to think completely out of the box and he's just a go-getter. Um, and so I was, I was really, really looking forward to meeting you and I, I think we hit it off, but, um, I want to know, like, go back to school. Cause I, I, you know, I'll share a story with you. Um, cause I think this is something that we have in common, but I want to be able to, have you tell the story what was it like for you in school because you 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 made mention of when i got suspended so obviously you're the kid that got into trouble right um but how was it um honestly for you to sit in class and have to go through the motions on a day-to-day basis of whether they've been you know history or english or like the the typical classes that we had to go through what was it like for you to have to experience that day to day I hated it. I, I, I hated it. And I looked forward to every time we had phys ed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I went to school to be, be tortured until I got to go run around in phys ed. Um, I was held back twice. Um, once grade eight and grade two, I think it was, but yeah, I just, you know, I, 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 I hated it. I hated, there was actually at the time, I don't know if they have them now, like those rooms, they would actually put you in a room like by yourself. Well, they actually, in my one, in my one grade, they put like a cubicle up, cubicle walls up at the back of the room. And then I would sit there 
and I'd have to sit there and listen to the instruction, but I couldn't see anybody because that would distract me and whatever else. Yeah. And so how did that feel for you to be basically isolated? You know? Oh, I, I, I hated it. That's, yeah. that's, that's the worst thing I've done. Like, but that's, that's the, that's the problem with our, uh, I don't know what our education system is like now. I know my kids go to school, but you know, they're, thank God they're the opposite of what I was. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I just, it was so flawed. It was so wrong and flawed that, you know, exactly. I was a dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a disorder, right? And, yep. and, you know, it's too bad that we couldn't have figured it out. If they would have done, if I would have had, if I would have had education outside and in some form of creative, you know, activity involved in me learning, I'd, I'd be like, I'd be working for NASA because I'd be a genius. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I agree with you, right? Um, and so the, the story I was going to tell you because we share this is, and I tell this story that when I was in grade 12, we, uh, when I went to school in Saskatoon, um, and as we talked earlier, I actually graduated with your cousin, Small World, but, you know, um, I, we, had, we had motor mech, we had welding, we had machining, we had construction, we had electrical, we had all those, you know, all those, all those uh, programs. And I used to skip English or um, uh, history or algebra so that I could go and I would actually go and work on my car in, in the motor mech shop. So I never left mm-hmm. the school, right? I would skip a class to go get out of there to go do something that I actually loved that I really wanted to do. So I mean, you can't tell me I wasn't going to get caught, right? I mean, I didn't, you know, but it was, it was something that I needed to do because I just couldn't stand there and sit there and actually like listen to, you know, uh, the history teacher. Just, I just like, I'm getting nothing out of this. I want to do something that's going to fulfill me. And so when I grew up, my uncle had a, a trucking company and I used to ride my bike across town, single speed bike, I'd, I'd, I'd like to map it out one day how many miles it was because it was totally across town in Saskatoon. And I would go and work at the shop. And I would change light bulbs or back. I, I learned to drive a semi when I was 10 and, you know, back in trailers and do all those things to fulfill that need that I, you know, that I had, I, that was my, that was my well-being because I needed that to, yeah. to, to be in my mind, to be successful. So I'm sure you can probably sort of share that same sentiment. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's yeah, no, it's uh, if, if, you know, I, I really think I was, I was a subject of my school system saying, get this kid the heck out of here. Give him a 51, get him out of here. Yeah. With you, you know, with, with two exceptions, right. But yeah, I just, I, you know, not a lot of people, geez, you know, thinking back now, not a lot of people like actually believed in me and, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, if you would have taken, if you would have taken, I don't know how many years. I So I went to school for 14 years um, <laughs> and I don't have a doctor, nothing, but uh you know, probably every year, every year, you know, with the exception of maybe a couple, probably everyone would have said that this guy is destined to, to be a nobody, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to go to jail, right? So, so what did it feel like to you back in grade two and back in grade eight? So not only once, but twice to be held back. Like what, what message did you get from that? Um, Other than being the tallest kid in my class, (laughs) Um, I just, God, you know, I, I don't remember grade two, grade eight, grade eight was, at least my parents did the right thing and they moved me to a different school for my mm-hmm. second time around. 
um, which, you know, saved me for some of the embarrassment. Um, just that I, I was kind of stupid, right? Like, uh, you know, just, I didn't get it, right? And uh, but, but here's the thing, Ken, and I always want to bring this up. Um, because in, in, you know, in the work that I do, you know, the, the story would have been told that, that you were, uh, I don't mean this with disrespect, but you were stupid. That's what the story would have been told. Right. And in my opinion, I don't think it had anything to do with your intelligence. I mean, obviously you're a very smart guy. You're running a very successful business. You're very intelligent. So it had nothing to do with your intelligence, but everything to do with, with what you needed in order to, to be successful in school. It just didn't match up. What, how they, the, the, how they taught and how you learned were two ships passing in the night. So it had nothing to do with intelligence, but yet that's the story that would have been told. So it was never true to begin with. No, hundred percent. Exactly. Like, um, you know, that's, I always look at it now, like with my valve, with my, with the valves in my valving company, this stuff just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense to me that it's like, it's, it's, I feel like Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. This, this stuff just makes sense mm-hmm. and 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 nobody in my educational life could ever give it to me where it made sense mm-hmm. that was it that was yeah. simply it absolutely right. so it had nothing to do with intelligence no right so yeah. so jumping ahead um so you got into policing what yeah. what was the driver behind that i think just, you know, I look at my hockey career. I look at the way that I've always reacted. I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to save the day, whether it was, you know, uh, a dust up in hockey because somebody did something to one of my players. I was always that kind of guy that everybody went, well, who's, who's going to be responsible for this? And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, like, that's just, that was I, the role I always took. So, you know, when I was in grade 10, I wrote, um, at a comm class and I had to write what I wanted to do with my life. And, and one was um, run the family business or be a police officer. So when, you know, 23, 24, when me and the old man at the valve company couldn't see eye to eye on the way business was supposed to be done. Um, my default was police, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you get to wear a uniform, you get to drive cars real fast, you get to carry a gun, <laughs> you know, it was kind of cool. Right. And so that was the, that was the default. And, you know, I, uh, I was accepted like immediately. Um, I got into class and um, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I graduated, I think, top two in my class out of 50. Um, yeah, and I loved the street. I loved helping. I loved policing. I, I loved it. And I had a lot of fun. And it, and it, and it helped make me the person I am today. Because, you know, it's helped me to um, be more articulate look at things a little bit more methodical. I never, I never even heard about the word methodical before I went into the police. Now it's one of my favorite words. Um, more, definitely more methodical. You know, I've been able to control my emotions and my temper. You know, I did have a temper, you know, I, I've noticed a lot of people with ADHD who do have tempers mm-hmm. right? because I think it's the frustration inside them of not figuring it out that mm-hmm. comes out. Yep. Um, and so, no, I've been definitely... I'm a way different person than I was when I was 25, 24, right? Right. Yeah. So back in the policing days, I mean, you did that for what, four years? 
almost five yeah almost five so then you know you love you love police work you love being out in the streets you love you know um so you're out on car you're out doing calls um what was it that made you leave so i ended up in patrol so you know normal patrol walking the beat right yep um i kind of got into it not not a conflict but just some things happened that um you know, I was asked to do something by uh, one of my acting sergeants and I didn't agree with it. It was a, it was a prank phone call scenario and they wanted me, this one sergeant who was acting sergeant, so just temporary, was like, I want you to pull a search warrant. I want you to pull phone records. I'm like, it was a prank call. Like, you know, not a big deal. So I ended up talking to a detective and the detective was like, that temporary sergeant doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just trying to maybe prove a point or I don't know what don't worry about it. Give me the file. I'll take it. Well, that ended up being, uh, I got reported for that in subordination or whatever it was. And, and I got transferred from the beat to the absolute worst place. You can ever put an ADHD police officer. Let me guess Answer. behind a desk. Exactly. Answering 911 phone calls in an office downtown. Wow. I'm like, Oh my, this is a recipe for disaster. So, I took it as a, as a good soldier. I took the position six months in, I was miserable. My home life was crumbling. Um, I just, I was, I was self-destructing because I couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. And, um, my last day in the police was August 20th, 2011, I think. And I went to work and I, over the phone, I challenged somebody to come down to headquarters and fight me because I was like, I need, I need some adrenaline. You know, this guy was called up and swearing and yelling at me and all this stuff. And, you know, so I, I did I handle it totally unprofessional? Yeah, 100%. Um, sorry, I missed it. And uh, so, you know, I, um, so it was my last day in the police. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd probably still be there if I was in the, if I was in a patrol, you know, high adrenaline functioning capacity, I'd definitely still be there. And that, and then that made me kind of like, I had the opportunity to go back, um, into a different role, but that role was going to be another desk position because yeah. it was like, you know, so that made me kind of look at how flawed the policing model is. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't take your, I was a very good patrol constable. Like I did awesome stuff. Like I found, I found buried, buried bodies in the woods off source gang information. Like stuff that people go their entire life and never even get a sniff of. I was getting that kind of stuff my third and fourth year because I, I just had a way of, of connecting with people, right? Mm -hmm. And so I look at it, the police model is broken because you'd never take one of your top salesmen and go, hey, top salesman, go be the secretary now. Yeah. You wouldn't do that. And so right. then, then I realized the policing model wasn't for me. Very politically, too much politics. And... Um, you know, I thought I was, I was, I'm better than just towing the line mm -hmm. because I am a free thinker. I'm, I'm different. I need to go then be different. And then I went back and I had an opportunity to get into the valve industry again. So I did. And so where are you now? So get me, get me up to date. Oh my God. Um, well, okay. Okay. Um, when I was 34, so we'll go back four and a half, almost five years. Jeez, I'm almost 39. Um, 
so I was on holidays with my family and my brother's family and, and my sister's family. And we started talking like about life and about, you know, our current situations. And my sister-in-law goes, have you ever looked up your Kalahu family? And I said, no, you know, that's been years ago, right? And, um, she says, why don't you, do you ever, are you curious? I'm like, of course I'm curious. Like I'd like, I'd love to know who I am and, and you know, everyone wants to know exactly where they came from or their DNA or if there's, you know, medical issues or even just what your history is. Mm-hmm. And um, so literally within like two or three clicks on Facebook, I'm looking at my real dad on Facebook, a picture of him, his wife, um, the, their daughter, their two boys. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this is my dad and his family, right? Like this. Yikes. Right. But in my head, I've been told that I have never met this guy. So I'm not going to be like, Hey, Facebook friend request. Hey, Papa, like, remember me? Because he doesn't, he's never met me, right? Right. It's what I've been told. Yeah. And um, so the holiday ends, I go home and I'm, and I'm really curious now. Like I've seen my real father. I'm, man, I'm curious. So if you remember that box when I was 18 years old that I went through? Yep. I now was in possession of that box because my mom had moved away. My stepdad, my mom had divorced. My mom moved away and my dad, my stepdad said, Hey, take all this crap of your mom's. Right. So I have that box in my garage, in my house. So I, as soon as we got home from our holiday, like at 10 o'clock at night, I, I go to the garage, I get this box and I start and like, there's hundreds and hundreds of pages of pieces of paper. And in the box is a restraining order for when, for 1984 between Farron Callahu and my mom. And I'm like, well, wait a second here. I'm two years old at this point. This makes no sense because I thought I was, I thought this guy just bailed. Right. But yet, why is there a restraining order? And, 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 uh, and there was a custody battle in 1984. I'm like, this makes no sense to what I've been told because I was told I never met the guy, but yet why is there a custody battle and a restraining order? This makes no sense. Well, it started to make sense that maybe I wasn't told the whole truth about what happened. Right. And so instead of like the story of like this guy just left and, and didn't have anything to do with me, it actually turned into like there was more to this and he wanted to see me and he wanted, you know, control and power or, or uh, parenting rights. Yeah. So, but that still doesn't solve the whole like, okay, well, how do I reach out to this guy now? And, um, in that box was another piece of paper that belonged to Farron Calhoun that, that um, listed another lady. And so I looked that lady up. Her, she had died a couple of years ago, but she had two kids listed on her obituary. And so I reached out to one of them because um, this, this um, I reached out to her, to one of the kids. And, and I said, hey, do you know Farron Calhoun? And this lady came back the next day and said, yeah, that's my brother's dad. And I'm like, what the heck? So Farron Callahan was a little busy in his younger life. And he ended up <laughs> like, you know, six or seven kids. So this one that I ended up connecting with um, was my half brother, right? Right. So, so, so I, 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 I got a phone call from my half brother. And he's like, Kenny? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh my God, man, we've been looking for you for years. I'm, I'm like, wait, hold on a second here. He's like, yeah, like we all know about you. I've seen pictures of you and 
blah 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 and i'm now my head i'm going what is going on here like this makes no sense that these people actually know about me and like so i hung up with him my phone lights up because i got aunties calling me now and they're crying on the phone about they've been looking for me for years and they've been to the police to try to find me but you know you adopt somebody and you change somebody's name in 1984 there's no internet there's no facebook there's no nothing you can you can't find them right and um so yeah my at that point in my life i knew that i was blood connected to like three or four people Mm -hmm. instantly like the calhoun family is a massive family instantly like hundreds and hundreds of people now are my blood relatives so it was really neat um and so yeah i've since connected with my entire calhoun family i've learned about how uh, proud they are to be um metis Mm -hmm. um mohawk iroquois um very deeply connected to a first nations community that was actually enfranchised in 1958 uh, michelle outside of edmonton very connected um and then i reconnected with my real father which was really neat yeah and then so connected with my real father through that connected with only my what would be my half sister who's actually the same girl that I talked to when I was 10 years old when I made that phone call. Oh, you're kidding. He told me, she's like, did you call our house one day? And I'm like, yeah, I, I remember that phone call. She was 14. I'm like, and she's like, I remember the phone call. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Wow. Crazy. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. So did you ever get this sort of cleared up with your mom at some point where, because you weren't told the whole truth or did you just kind of let that go? You know what? Um, I know the truth. Um, my mom moved away 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, she she's battled some stuff. She's battled issues, um, you know, whether it be addiction and mental health battles. So honestly, I, I know the truth and that's that satisfies me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not looking to bring it up or to get clarifications I, I you know i won't be told the truth anyway but you know that's yeah i'm good but, with it now but i guess yeah you can put at the end of the day you can put your head on the pillow and and know you know the truth right yep yeah 100 yeah. No, yeah so so now so here you are running true north uh, valve solutions which is a you know a very large valve company and we and uh so um that is actually that is an amazing amazing backstory ken that is that's incredible yeah it's a long one but yeah it's (laughs) It's okay uh... but it's like i love it i I love the story so i'm gonna move on so you know here we go i believe that we are all odd ducks that we're all misfits right and so tell me about a time you know this you've kind of led into this a little bit but if there's a specific time where you didn't fit in where you but you but you didn't fit in but yet you stood out and and what is it ken that really makes you different and I, and I don't mean this from an egotistical standpoint or a pride standpoint, but what is it that makes you, you that's different and unique and a time that you actually stood out and didn't, or didn't fit in? Well, you know, I look at, I look at basically, um, you know, working, working for my dad in his valve company, the fact that, um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I, I really care about the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never use the term boss. I never use the term works for me. I never use that term. <coughs> Sorry. 
I always look at it like we're a team. I just because um, I might be the president of this or, you know, the founder, the CEO, whatever, whatever title might be. That's only because I, you know, every, every structure needs that for identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm never, I'm not, I'm not better than anybody else. So I look at when I worked for my dad, my dad, I love the man to death, but we just couldn't see eye to eye on the way things were done because I feel like, you know, there should be shared prosperity. There should be, you know, I'm the fifth highest paid guy at True North. Mm. Um, you know, when traditionally I should be the highest paid by a long shot. If you look at traditional presidents of companies, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, there we could not see eye to eye. You know, I look at my last company that I that I helped start that I was that I owned forty two percent of. You know, the one partner that I had looked at me looked me dead in the eyes and said i didn't come here to make friends and i'm like that's the exact opposite of why i got in business because now i got mandatory friends all these people have to be my friends and if i treat them good they'll be better friends (laughs) you know so i i I look at i look at my philosophy and my way of thinking about running a business and treating people Mm -hmm. that makes me definitely an odd duck like you know i sacrificed my first two years of dividends to build a two thousand square foot gym for my people um, you know, we're spending another 20, 30,000 on a full kitchen and a, and, and a really big, nice, um, you know, our change room at our change room for my guys mm-hmm. has, um, high end country club lockers, like made of wood. Me guys, I just, I just, I feel like every experience that you have with me and with true North should be the best mm-hmm. and you should just feel good about it. Right. Whether it's your changing your grubby grubby coveralls and you're in a country club setting or you know my my goal with my big full kitchen that we're spending a lot of money on is that i want to bring i want to create a job um that somebody can come in and cook for the guys every day you know the guys can pick a menu of healthy food and i can employ someone to come in and and cook lunch for the guys you know so they can have that they can take their break at 10 o'clock and come up and there's fresh fruit and a smoothie and you know so I think just the way I look at leading a company mm-hmm. in our, especially in our climate and in our industry mm-hmm. is really different. Nobody has what we have. You just think differently. You I do. See, you but, see things that other people don't see. Well, I, I, oh, totally. And, and, that, and that's, that's the cursed and the blessed part of my brain is that I, as I, as I go where nobody's thinking. It's, and, a, it's um, a blessing if you ask me. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so I think that definitely makes me a really odd duck. Is the mm-hmm. fact that, um, you know, I, I I haven't been able to fit in as a partner, or as a follower in any business or any organization, the police that I've been involved in, because I just I I don't have limits on my mind. Right. And I I need to be limitless in order to be successful. Right. That totally makes you an odd duck. And, uh, but because of it, you make the world a better place, Ken. Bottom yeah. line. Oh. Yeah. So, so. so tell me about a time in your life, uh, something specific where someone did something for you that left an impact on your life. Something did something for me in a positive or a negative way. Positive or negative. Um, 
you know, I, I, I look at my old business that I was a part of and, and we had a partner that I was very toxic. Um, he was a very negative individual. Um, I, you know, I, I don't wish anything bad upon him, but that, that experience of, of me kind of being, um, bullied and being, um, allowing myself to be manipulated in a negative way, I'll never, ever forget. And because that, it almost ruined my life. And, but it, but it, it made me aware of, 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 of a bunch of things that, that, you know, I need to do better and I need to be uh, aware of, um, you know, so that, that like it, it almost ruined my business. Right. And so that, that impacted me the most because I think about it a lot and, um, you know, it's like people always say, well, I'm glad that my parent was like that because now I know how to not be a parent or know how to not be a, Mm-hmm. Well, thank God my ex-partner was like that. So now I know how not to be a, a leader and a partner for maybe future partners, right? Right. Um, that was, you know, it was a very traumatizing experience for me, actually. And, and people, you know, you, you don't know somebody until you marry them or be you go into business with them. Yeah. Right? Very true. And so I look at that. So um, so you took that experience, but you leveraged it, right? You leveraged it into something positive. Yeah, by basically doing the opposite of what uh, what I think uh, that person would have done. I, I had a manager like that once in my life as well. And I tell you, he taught me a lot, right? He told me, but he taught me a lot of what not to do. And yeah. uh, so, that was, so that was the gift, right? We, yeah. uh, we look, it looks negative, but it really truly is a positive. So what are you doing, Ken, uh, right now to better the pond? And, and more importantly is why are you doing it? Um, you know, with reconnecting with my Kalahoo family and learning how proud Mohawk Iroquois and how connected to the Michelle First Nations that they are and basically walking the earth for 34 years, not knowing who I was, I have become absolutely obsessed with a part of our society that it feels like is being ignored there's being definitely more light being shed on it now, but that's, you know, our, our indigenous population. And I feel like we've got a tremendously long road to go to develop skills and to create opportunity and equality for our indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And that's become my new passion is, you know, I want to, I started true North because I saw a need in our industry for a company like ours mm-hmm. and now my desire to grow it is because i see a need and a desire in our society for what it can do which is you know be responsible for employing and developing the skills of hundreds of our indigenous population right so you know i look at different opportunities you know i reach out to different first nations communities looking at uh, employment for their people um skill development opportunities i look at you know I did something big with the four Mac boys and girls club. They were devastated by the fire and, and they take care of 115 families a day. So, you know, we kicked them uh, a fairly big donation back in September, which, you know, was, if you think about it, wow, like, you know, giving back in a time of COVID, well, you know, we've had exceptional growth and we have the opportunity to do that. So I do feel like those who can give back mm-hmm. definitely need to, especially at a time like this. You know, Absolutely. really, there, there's really no reason why people with a billion dollars, um, you know, 
I'm not against capitalism. 100% I'm not because I, I love <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. But I believe now is the time for people to give back, give back to small businesses um, to be helping out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've talked to actually quite a few people on my podcast as well. Some people whether locally or, you know, um, around the world who are doing that same thing, some small business owners. There's a small business here that gave up 100% of their profits um, through COVID and gave it back to the community. It was like $50,000. They're a small company, um, but they, that was their need to give back. And through a time when everybody was really, really struggling. So they, you know, they, they were, it was absolutely amazing. So can you tell me what you did up in Fort Mac? Um, yeah, so I got, I started a program in our industry, um, called don't scrap, give back. So it's actually a pretty, it's actually, I think it's a pretty concerning issue that when these oil companies do these big projects, they then have all this surplus material sitting around Mm -hmm. and they throw it out. They just scrap it. Well, it's perfectly good material that if you actually were to maybe make a couple phone calls and have an avenue for reusing, you would. So, you know, they scrap it for like five cents on the dollar and it goes to the scrap bin. Meanwhile, that material is taken off the market. So we look at to then remanufacture to manufacture that product. You know, you're looking at greenhouse gas emissions. You're looking at, you know, there's no way to reduce your carbon footprint. But if you were to, to keep it in the market, you could reduce all those issues. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, perfect greenhouse gas emission. We, you know, we can reduce that by maybe salvaging this stuff and reusing it. But a lot of the times these companies just say, come pick this stuff up. I don't want it. Come get it. Well, I'm like, well, I don't feel good about taking this stuff for free because even though I love capitalism, I don't feel like I've worked for this. Right. And so I thought, well, hey, if we can then take this donated material I can sell it, then donate, take the profits and donate that to an indigenous community or charity that's underfunded. That's cool. Right. right? So that, that program got started before, uh, in June and, um, you know, the floods happened for McMurray. I found out about the Fort Mac boys and girls club. Um, their, all their furniture wasn't insured. So I'm like, you know what, this would maybe be a great opportunity because, they take care of 115 families. Mm-hmm. This is like an after-service daycare program, after-school stuff. Well, that's shut down now. So then all these parents working up in Fort McMurray, who probably most of them work in the oil sands or first Suncor or Syncrude or somebody up there, are now having to sacrifice their ability to keep the province flowing um, with what they do because they don't have after-school care or programs. So I thought, perfect. This is a direct tie to what I do. This is a direct tie to the indigenous wood buffalo community. Let's do it. So yeah, we 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 I drove up there in September, and um, met with Michelle Michelle Farrell. She's a fantastic gal, doing a lot of good work up there. And I gave them twenty five grand to get to get going again. And um, they should be up and running. I think like yesterday they kind of maybe had their grand opening again. Oh wow. Yeah, so it was really cool. I've, I've ever since I drove up to Fort McMurray, I, I don't know, six seven years ago. I've loved the community. I just I love it up there. It gets such a bad rap from Hollywood elites that have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, those people have endured, you know, 
slander in the media. They had the fire four years ago. They had the flood. And they're still there. They're strong. And they're, they're there so that we can all make a living. Like, if we didn't have the oil sands and those people didn't want to live in Fort McMurray, we would have nothing. Right? right. So I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that they've stayed and that they've worked and of what they do. So I, I, I want to do a lot of stuff up in Fort McMurray. I want, to, I want to actually expand to Fort McMurray so that I can contribute to the tax base, that I can create jobs up there mm-hmm. and, and be a part of the community. So, yeah, no, we did that. And then when I was there, I was like, well, you know, the Keanu College, you know, so I stopped by the Keanu College and um, they got 115 Indigenous students there. And so I created a, a two scholarships a year for um, the Indigenous students to apply for to get financial help. Wow. So, uh, but it's actually quite funny because the, you know, when I, the, when I sat down with, with the scholarship lady, um, I said, I don't want this to be an academic scholarship. I want this to be a scholarship where the requirements are somebody like me. <laughs> somebody who it. might be misunderstood, might be a class clown. And you know what? I don't care if those people go to post-secondary or not. They need somebody to believe in them mm-hmm. because that goes a long, long way when somebody just believes in you. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, okay. I'm, so yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I did. So it's two scholarships that are literally not academic based. They're for that, that, that one soul that just needs a little bit of somebody to believe in. Right. Wow. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That is, yeah. that is incredible. So, you know, doing all the work that you're doing to give back to the Indigenous community and, and um, you know, up in Fort Mac, um, why do you do it, Ken? Um, <clears throat> if not me, who's going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody doing it right now. Um, I'm hoping that with what I'm doing, I can maybe set the trend and, and, and shed some light on it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for far too long, what a lot of companies in my industry have done is just taken their profits and funneled them to Houston to impress their shareholders. Right. And um, there's hundreds, there's hundreds, if not a good thousand to fifteen hundred jobs in my industry that can be filled with indigenous people mm-hmm. to help them develop skills. Right. right. You know, and uh, I like I've done a ton of reading and I've done a ton of courses. Um, I've taken the, the Aboriginal awareness stuff very seriously. Um, so I can, I can spread the word and kind of preach on it. You know, like I, I don't meditate, I don't pray, but what I, sorry, I don't meditate, but what I do is uh, like, I smudge like at true North, we actually have a smudging area. Okay. Where you can kind of go and just, you know, kind of reset and refresh and kind of get some negative stuff off your chest. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I, I feel like there needs to be more awareness brought to it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, our First Nations people really believed in a simple life, mm-hmm. in, in community, in, in sense of the environment, you know, but they were f- kind of forced to adopt European capitalistic ways, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, um, you know, so that, so that takes time to evolve. You know, if, you're, if, European, if Europeans were evolving since you know, let's just, let's just say easily the 13 or 1400s when they came over, Christopher Columbus came over, you know, they've been evolving for that long because they, they believed that their capitalistic society was the right way to live. Mm-hmm. Once again, being forced to live in a mold. 
Right. Right. Well, our first nations people didn't believe that. Right. And, and, you know, you could actually argue which society would be better off today and would, would be more stress-free and relaxing. I would pick first nations society all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I, I believe that if, if it's, you know, this was forced upon us, you're not going to be able to change it. So what we can do is we can start to develop the skills because if Europeans had a, a 600 year head start or a 500 year head start, well, that's okay. It's going to take time for just natural progression and evolution of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So our federal government's done an absolute terrible job at recognizing this and thinking that throwing money is just the issue mm-hmm. or going to be the solution to the, to the problem. And it's not, it really right. isn't. It's going to be skill development and, and job creation. I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Because what, what throwing money at the problem is, is it's caused a whole bunch of people in our society to probably have a really good point at saying, Oh, how much more money are they going to get? Well, that's not what they want. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not what, that's not the, that's not what's going to help. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so by so by doing what you're doing, right, and, and creating jobs, creating skill development, and and helping on that, you know, going back to some of that that really enriching culture, um, can hopefully start to make some really last, hopefully lasting change. Oh, I, I I see it firsthand. You know, I had a young I had a, I told I told this uh, story on uh, Don Cooper's podcast, but I had a young man that worked for me. Uh, Chad Lewis is his name, and. Chad came to me from the Athabasca Cree First Nation and job interview, literally head down, didn't talk to me. And I'm like, you know, you've come here for a job and yeah, I want to work. And I'm like, okay, well, you want to work. That's great. So I, I hired him. Um, on his first day, I, 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 on his first day, I looked at him and I said, Chad, what's your mechanical aptitude, do you think? And I had to explain aptitude to him, which was okay. Mm-hmm. But he said, like a one, I've never worked with tools in my life. And he's 18 years old, never worked with tools and whatnot. And I'm okay, that's that's okay. You know, I had I had a I had a discussion with my staff on on how we're gonna handle Chad. And you know, you need to just understand that here's where he's at. So a year later, I went to Chad and like I'm like, Chad, like, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm great, blah blah. And looked me in the eyes and I said, Chad, what's your mechanical aptitude now a year later? And he's like, Ken, I think it's a seven. And I'm like, Chad, I totally agree with you. He came so far in a year. And I said to him, I said, Chad, do you think you'd be at a seven if all I did was bring you in, put you in an office and give you a paycheck every two weeks and you did nothing? And he goes, no, I'd still be at a one. I'm like, exactly. There's my point proven exactly. Right. And somebody to believe in him and somebody to give him an opportunity and give him an opportunity to shine. So, you know, what happened to his self-confidence, his self-esteem, his own self-worth, you know, um, would have changed absolutely dramatically. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, down the road, right. He'll do that for someone else. Well, and that's, that's exactly what my, my, uh, what, what I got a lot of joy in and why I'm doing it is because I look at Chad, Chad's going to teach, chat as a kid one day boy or girl how to do something and and it'll just go down the line right yeah it'll go down it'll go yeah so that's that's what that's what excites me mm-hmm. is that potentially ending this stigma around our first nations and our indigenous people you know that we can just help end together right because so, no nobody no because nobody thinks nobody thinks the way i just explained it that 
that the European culture has been evolving. Like they built ships to cross the Atlantic Ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And they had this 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 capitalistic ideas and these um, you know this is in, in the industry and the infrastructure. Well, that's what they wanted. Great. Meanwhile, these other people across the pond <laughs> didn't didn't think like that, and that's fine. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And then, you know, but yet it was forced upon them. So I just love the fact that, you know, when you're saying about what you, when, you know, uh, what you did for that young man, I mean, you're, you're doing what I'm trying to do is, you know, you're, you're, you're creating the ripple effect, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you drop the pebble in and then you're letting the ripples go and it just keeps on going. Right. And, and good on you for doing that. So, so, so here, here's our last question, Ken, you are, the wise sage you have the crystal ball you are the wise goose on the pond um so looking into the future can you paint me a picture of what is your golden pond what does the future look like for just me for you for what you want to accomplish for your company for okay well that's that's easy um you know, when I started, when I started True North Valve Solutions, I immediately started a foundation called True North Strong. And that foundation is geared towards, um, you know, assisting our Indigenous communities, mental health and addiction programs, uh, skill development. So I, I, to me, I want to, I want to build up True North to that, you know, I can spend a lot of time with that foundation, mm-hmm. that True North Valve can fund that foundation. And, you know, we can have full-time counselors on staff. We can go into communities. Um, you know, I'm hearing about Churchill, Manitoba, where there's a mental health risk uh, emergency right now. And I'm trying to get out there or, and get involved to, you know, have my counselor deploy to some communities that, that do have that. So, you know, I'd like to have that, those capabilities and eventually maybe one day have like, a, you know, a True North recovery or treatment ranch mm-hmm. where, you know, we can bring higher risk uh, patients who need some attention, high level attention and get them that help they need. Right. So that's, that's my goals. And that's what I want to do with the next, you know, kind of like, you know, two to five years. Mm -hmm. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, Are you, do you happen to know of a, of a gentleman by the name of Kendall Netmaker? Has that name crossed your path at all? No. Okay, it's from Sweet. So he was a tech member as well, and he's from Sweetgrass First Nations. First Nations. So he's he's got a great story about a kid who grew up in the res, right? To now, he's a speaker and he's an entrepreneur and doing all these doing all these wonderful things. So just your a bit of your story, what where you want to go, kind of reminds me a bit of him. And I maybe I might have to connect you guys because he's a, a really remarkable guy. Oh, about, awesome. Yeah. About the same age, actually. So. Yeah, you know what? I I, lo- I love meeting people that are kind of the same passion as I do because yeah. I think only together, um, only together until a bunch of private businesses and people take this issue seriously, mm-hmm. is it going to get fixed? Because the government's done a, t- a horrible job at it. Yeah. So I will make that connection for you because I think that'd be that'd be great. And uh, and if there's anything that I can do to help, um, uh, I have a, another friend of mine who's actually starting a recovery and addiction center here, uh, close just outside of Regina, and and so I might be helping him out with that as well because just helping people who need help, right, and just being yeah. there for them. So I I totally get where you're coming from. So if there's anything that I can do to help, uh, we can continue that conversation. So. But Ken, I really want to thank you for your time today. I want to thank you for your stories. I think you've got an amazing story. I love it. Um, so, but where can people go to find you? Um, 
Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, you know, our website, um, truenorthmods.ca or .com. Um, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not that active on social media anymore because honestly, it's very depressing lately. <laughs> and uh, We're, we're telling a good that. story here, Ken. Yeah, no, I know. Um, but you know, like tw- Twitter is so depressing with the United States politics and what's yeah. going on in Canada. And, you know, literally it's uh, LinkedIn and, uh, and our website is where you can kind of keep in touch with us. And yeah. Okay. Uh, you on Instagram? I am. I am, but no, I am, but you know what? Not, not very active not once active. again. Okay. And what about yeah. Facebook? No, I got rid of Facebook months ago after it became literally, it became so I watched that social dilemma on Netflix and everybody needs to watch it. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's too addictive. And, it, and honestly, it's, it's 50, 50 of like depressing stuff. Right. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And that was the reason I whole started this whole thing. Ken was, uh, you know, let's tell some good stories. Let's tell some positive stories. Um, let's get good messaging out there because the fact is that we're getting bombarded with a lot of uh, negativity. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So, you know, it's, it's almost like people should, instead of going on Facebook or going on social media, pick up the phone and call one of your friends, like, you know, get, get the real scoop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Whatever happened is actually phoning somebody. It's weird. <laughs> it <isn't> weird. <laughs> it's almost like you're mad now. It's like, oh, just text me. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So, all right. So there you have it, folks. We had a great time here with Ken Braggett. Um, again, I truly appreciate your time. I loved your story. If there's anything that, uh, that myself or our listeners can do, uh, reach out to Ken uh, to be able to help uh, in the cause. And I think that you're doing amazing work. Um, I fully support it. And um, I applaud you uh, for, for doing the, the things that you are. And I applaud you for who you are as a person because you think outside the box, you think differently, and there's your gift. And that's what you give back to the world because you are making a difference. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So this is Warren Berry flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks, Warren. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers.